0: Instead of thinking about an audience that I message to, this is an audience that I am trying to serve and understand and anticipate what are the things they need to hear to do things and act differently, think differently in, in a way that would really benefit them.
1: ladies. Welcome to the Biz Women Rock podcast, your home for amazing, very real stories about phenomenal businesswomen in all sorts of different industries over all sorts of different parts of the world who are here to share the real stories of how they've grown their businesses so that you can take some practical ideas and go implement them in your business. Now, if you're just starting your business, there's an amazing resource that you can tap into. It's called How to Launch Your Brand Online. It is an ebook that I created just for you. If you want to make sure that your business is represented very well and very effectively in the online space, including on a website, uh, on a blog, on social media, then being able to follow these very simple steps to be able to build up a customer base that is dying for exactly what you got That's what this book is all about. Go find out more at bizwomenrock.com. Charlene Lee is my guest today and she created a company called Altimeter. Now, the nice, beautiful description for Altimeter is basically that they help companies, they they do consulting, they will do speaking, they do strategy for companies who are looking to kind of go uh, head first into understanding and better strategizing about how to deal with uh, technology disruption and basically what that means is like anything social media, digital media, any way that technology is sort of in our lives and leveraging technology better to really uh, stay in line with what our goals are as business owners um, and what you know what's important to us. So, so that is super cool in and of itself. But the conversation uh, with Charlene today really focuses around her philosophy of um, how building an audience is very different than what she chooses to do which is uh, really serve a community and we really go into a lot of the uh, the language distinctions there which I think is so fascinating and really important to understand at a really gut-wrenching level to understand sales and uh, what Charlene has been very successful in doing is being able to do a lot of content marketing so that she has a lot of people attracted towards her services. So she's not going out there and hunting all the time and she knows that the people coming in are really qualified leads, they're interested in their services Um, and so she, she just has this whole philosophy that's completely unique and different. So if you are in a space of wanting to get your brand out there And wanting to do it in a way that really distinguishes you from all of the other noise, this conversation is going to be amazing for you to really see from a philosophical standpoint how changing your paradigm on how you're looking at this community around you and serving a community around you versus I want to build an audience is Mind blowing. I mean it's it is a major, major game changer. So um I want to get into this conversation with Charlene, but before we do, I want to encourage you to go to bizwomenrock.com forward slash 202. And as you're listening to this conversation, I want you to comment in the notes or in the comments of the show notes about what really resonates for you. What you really what this makes you think of, because I think this is one of those conversations that's really gonna blow your mind and make you think totally differently about your business bizwomenrock.com forward slash 202. Let's talk to Charlene. Charlene, what's going on, girl? Thank you so much for being on the show. Thanks for having me. I'm so excited that you're here. Um, <laughs> we, uh, we were chatting it up before a little bit, and uh, Altimeter is how I'm going to choose to pronounce your company today. Uh, you call it Altim- Altimeter? That's right. right? Okay, but You can say it, it any way you want. <laughs> okay, so it's like tomato, tomato, but you know, you're getting the same right. thing at the end of the day, which is a pretty awesome and intense company. So, Charlene, um, I'm so excited that you're here, and I'm really excited for you to be able to share your story about your business journey thus far. Um, can I'll... I'll I'm going to stumble on that this entire time. Altimeter um, is a really unique business that you guys have done such a tremendous job of kind of standing out in a really different way amongst competitors, amongst kind of everyone else in the arena. Um, but I, I'm really interested in sort of some of the backstories to how you really got involved in businesses in the first place. Like, were you an entrepreneur from an early age or was this the first business that you had started? Oh, this is the first business I actually started. And before
0: then, I had um, been always starting new things, but inside a company, I originally wanted to be a doctor when I was going to college and decided that was not the right fit. Really? Um, And just kind of fell into being, um, you know, into business because I was a leader in student organizations and realized I really liked getting things done. (laughs) And I really liked pulling a team of people together that we were all. Pulling in the same direction they had the same purpose and mission of what we want to accomplish so I realized I really liked that um, I, I liked working with people working in teams leading them too I discovered so right. I said maybe I should give a hand at this
1: hmm so what kind of stuff were you like what kind of businesses were you in before you started your company well I was in management consulting <laughs> and after one year I was at
0: monitor group for a year in, in Boston Decided to say, I think I want to go live overseas. So they were starting a new office in Amsterdam. So I, I raised my hand and said, I want to go to Amsterdam, never having been there. Nice. Um, and so went there, small office. When you're in a small office, you get a lot of responsibilities. So after a few months, I was leading a case. I was wow. 23 years old, leading a case that usually MBAs do after a year of being there. Um, at a consulting firm, And there was me. And um, so it kind of got thrown in a deep end. And um, what I realized was working with somebody who would give me that opportunity was one of the best things I ever did, um, and especially early in my career to have that kind of responsibility. It was a huge confidence builder and incredibly terrifying too, at the same time, because I really had no idea what I was
1: doing. <laughs> Honestly, I'm sitting no here, idea. I'm sitting here wondering. I mean, as a consulting firm, and you are a 22 year old kid sitting across the table from a company who's looking to you for consulting advice and guidance and structure. How did you How did you approach that? Like, what was your attitude back then? Uh, my attitude was, I don't know your business, but I do know how to think um, critically and analytically.
0: And a key part of our consulting is having a different perspective and then having the time to dig into the details and be able to ask lots of good questions. Mm. And because I came into the situation with complete humility, not knowing the business, treating them like the experts, and approaching it as a partnership, that's what made me a really successful consultant. Uh, Compared to a lot of consultants who come in and say, I know the answer. I'm going to fix your business for you. I said, you know your business, but you need that perspective, somebody asking questions that you haven't been able to ask, and then somebody to run the numbers for you and do the market research for you. So I I did what any other person, a curious person, would do. I asked a lot of questions. And fortunately for me, I was asking really good, relevant questions because they kept having to come back and do the same cases and do more work. Uh, So it, it really taught me... That I knew sort of what I was doing, but also encouraged me to think, I really don't know what I need to do. I don't know enough about business. So I decided to go back to business school. So I would know some of the frameworks and be knowledgeable and get up to speed a lot faster than I was just by learning it on the job.
1: Yeah. What kind of, what did you do in some of those situations if you ever did get any sort of pushback from the clients who might have looked down on you because you were this young girl who, you know, was trying to kind of figure it all out. I mean, I know, I I am sure, and I can imagine that you were very professional and, you know, kind of very confident and sure of yourself, even though any of those, like, internal struggles were sort of very internal. But did you ever have any sort of, like, kickback from people who either didn't, you know, weren't, like, doubtful of what you could do? I I still get that today. You do? Yeah,
0: um, because some of the things I propose are, so audacious, right, and, and so different and challenging to people. Uh, I found that having data, having evidence, having logic and um, evidence was the surest way to counter any of these concerns. And just as important, to say, "Well, I don't know, but that's a really good question, and let me go do some research on that." Mm. And that's what has has stood me by really, really well throughout my career. Is that. I have confidence in the research that I've done, I have confidence in the work, because I've, I've worked really hard and asked the good questions and double-checked and did all the due diligence. Right. Um, and then just as part me, I would know when I can't stand by something right. and be able to admit it. Hmm. So when you have that kind of honesty with somebody and you develop that trust in that relationship, that was the thing that I invested in more than anything else throughout my career, was to really listen to people, understand what was going on, build that trust, and through that, could extend my credibility. Uh, there's, there's, nothing else that could substitute for that.
1: So, in 2008, you decided to start Altimeter. What was the impetus for that? Like, what, what was it that made you say, "I'm, I'm going to go out and do this on my own," and this is what the focus is going to be?
0: Sure. I, I was an analyst at Forrester Research, uh, which is a, a traditional industry technology research company. I was there for 10 years almost. Uh, and loved it. I, I, I thought I was going to be an analyst it was just for two years. I would take two years off because my kids were kind of young, and um, I, I would just do it for a little while before going back to, quote, industry to real work. And I found that I loved it and uh, that I was quite good at it. And then I wrote a book, and I realized coming back after writing the book that the, the traditional job of being an analyst only and focusing on, on, on one narrow area of, Of work wasn't challenging anymore. Mm. Uh, And so, while I loved the firm, I really felt like I needed to do something different. And and I was also going through some some challenges in my family. My son was uh, diagnosed as dyslexic. Mm. And our our doctor and therapist all said, you know, he really needs more contact. You need to have more control over your career and the travel and everything. I'm like, you know, all these things coming together, I think it's a good, good time for me to leave Forrester think about what I wanted to do, do on my own. Um, and I didn't intend to start a company. I was just going to be independent for about a year or so Well, I figured it out. And I realized I wanted to work with people, and I had a vision for what I wanted to do and the kind of company and the kind of work I wanted to do, so I started the company.
1: Wow. So when you first started it, what what were you – doing like how did you package it what were you doing to attract clients and how did you make sure that the clients knew this is what you're getting this is how I'm gonna service you and this is how you're gonna be just completely you know fall in love with my services how how did that all look (laughs) well what
0: I had done at Forrester was very successfully use social media to extend my brand I I was the first analyst to blog at, um, at, at, at Forrester and also the first industry analyst period to take comments, which was kind of revolutionary then. And just so you know, the business model for Forrester was to charge for its content. So you couldn't get anything unless you paid for it. So Mm. they were very concerned that I might cannibalize things. And then also as I was building a a stronger and stronger following, kind of like, okay, well, where does the brand of Forrester end and the brand of Charlene begin and vice versa? And there was just so much angst around that. And I was determined that when I left, I left my blog, my following, everything behind. So I had to start from scratch and totally understood that and was at peace with that. And I just started publishing. I published reports. I did videos. I started speaking, wrote tremendously amounts of content and used uh, content to build my audience. And then I did something else. I realized that the business model traditionally is that if you wanted to get deep, thoughtful reports on these new trends... He had to subscribe, and I thought, what if I could turn that model on its head and give it all away for free? So he totally changed the business model and did it in such a way where it was blue ocean. I love that book, Blue Ocean Strategy. Michael's fight was the sharks sniping over limited dollars for subscription services, give it away for free, build the brand, build the following. And then from that also, because I was writing content that was highly practical, very pragmatic recommendations while still being strategic, I knew that people would read it, try to implement it, and then realize they really needed more advice. So they would then call me and say, you know that problem you talked about in that report? We're trying to solve that exact problem. Can you help us solve that problem? So that shortened my sales cycle tremendously. So I only had to deal with inquiries from people who actually knew I could help them. And then it was a negotiation and discussion around the definition of that scope of work.
1: So I'm going to ask the question that's like, it always boggles my mind that, um, you know, like the realities, the the beautiful statement of like, I just created content and put all this great stuff out there and sort of like I built it and then they came, right? That's awesome. And it obviously has worked really well for you. But I want to know the realities of that because I think a lot of... I, th- I think a lot of business people are like, yeah, I'll just start my blog and I'll I'll write on my blog all the time, and of course people will come and they'll want my they'll want my more information, they'll want my services. But there's a lot more to it than that. There's a lot more like, you know, optimization, a lot more engagement there. How are you actually getting? How are you actually making sure the right people are seeing your content? Like where is it going so that all of you know all these potential people who could possibly see it or choosing to read your stuff versus the 8 zillion other pieces of content that, that are out there. So what were some of your strategies that you found that worked for you um, now or definitely in the beginning that actually got you an audience, that actually helped you build an audience?
0: Um, I think, again, it's the audience that I build myself, but it's also the people I follow and give credence to in the ecosystem and network that you build um there is a, a wonderful thing where you're paying it forward, and I'm amplifying other great voices that I see and referring people, and they, in turn, referred me, too, as well. So I would, um, for example, to get the attention of somebody um, in a new space. I, I, I recently just started working on employee engagement. I don't know anything about employee engagement. I start doing research on it. I start seeing other experts, other companies that are doing this, reaching out to them, amplifying the great work that they do. Um, and then I get noticed, then they notice that I'm doing something, amplify the research that I'm doing so there's a lot of community building that's the key thing instead of thinking about it as audience right and um, followers how many how can I get more followers it's all about the quality of the community and the network that you are trying to build and uh, I'll give an example. I follow about four hundred people on Twitter. And I'm constantly changing it up because what I'm focused on and building audiences and relationships around changes as the pain points and the business changes. And so what I started out with back in 2008 is very different than what I do today. Right. And the, the um, community that I've brought along has just grown. It's changed and shifted its focus. And some people I may not be as relevant to anymore. But it means that also there are new uh, groups and networks that I'm tapping into as well. So there's a lot of time built into not just the content, but really understanding for this community what do they want to hear? What are the ways that I can be helpful to them? And that takes a lot of time, talking, spending time with them in detailed conversations offline, in order to create that content online.
1: Right. I love that point, and I think um, I think it's so awesome that you really give credence to the fact that it's not just like you know a bunch of kind of silent listeners out there reading stuff of yours or seeing whatever you're putting out but it's really a whole intricate network of people you know really supporting each other and and I know that sounds all pretty in words but really what that means is like you as you were saying you do research on topic x and then you find this expert in topic x and so now you're based on your research, you can write this really great article, give them acknowledgments about it. And then they're seeing that and they're seeing that you support them. And then that builds this whole sort of like multi-layered community of people all sort of talking about each other, supporting each other's ideas. And then people get to listen in on that and participate in that.
0: Yeah. So I'll give an example. Um, After I give a speech, I go back and look at the entire stream and the hashtag around my speech. What really resonated with people? What things got retweeted? Who was influential? And what was the resonance of those people? If a third person has, you know, if I try out some new material, a, a new anecdote, for example, did it resonate? Did people understand that story and find it compelling enough to share? If they didn't, I'm not going to repeat it. Right. If they did, if it really amplified love, well, then I know that worked. But more importantly, I, I love talking to, to real people after these discussions, workshop, and or, or, or engagement. And they, they come up and are so generous and say, you know, I found that really compelling. Thank you. And then I I always ask, well, thank you very much. Why did you find What was the part that resonated most with you and why? Really understanding what worked and, more importantly, what are they going to do differently? How were they motivated to change? So I'm measuring myself after every single one of these engagements that I have. I'm constantly looking for feedback and saying, how can I do things differently and better? Because, you know, sometimes you walk out of an engagement and you go, yeah, this didn't work well, or I think it worked well, or that worked really well. But that's only my perspective. Right,
1: right. Did
0: it actually work? Did, did it actually um, meet the expectations of what people are in the room are trying to see? Right. So, again, in the same way, instead of thinking about audience that I message to, this is an audience that I'm trying to serve and understand and anticipate what are the things they need to hear to do things and act differently, think differently in, in a way that would really benefit them.
1: I love that. Um, you have written about four different books and been very successful in uh, in distributing those books and getting those books out there. You're highly recognized for, you know, being a really great writer of these books. So you have Open Leadership. I, that was the first book that you wrote. Is that correct? Actually, Groundswell was the first work I wrote back in 2008. Gotcha. So we then, Gr- Groundswell.
0: Go ahead. And then Open Leadership, which was in 2010. Mm-hmm. Uh, I wrote a short ebook called Seven Strategies for Successful Social Business. And then uh, just published a new one called The
1: Engaged Leader. Nice. So... Four different books. I know Open Leadership is on the New York Times, but has uh, been recognized by New York Times bestseller. Um, you know, so you have had a lot of success in writing these books and being able to produce content that your community is really asking for. Let's talk about your most recent book, The Engaged Leader. What kind of what really propelled you to write that, and what was your purpose of putting that out there?
0: I, I work with a lot of companies and leadership around their overall digital strategy. And it's one thing for them to have a great, robust strategy. It's another thing, though, I found for they themselves to personally engage. So more and more leaders were coming to me and saying, you know, I get it. I'm telling my entire organization to go out there, engage with customers, engage with each other. And then there's me. I really don't feel comfortable. That's what I heard leaders saying over and over again, engaging myself. And how can I be a credible leader in this digital era if I'm telling everyone else to engage and I'm not?
1: Hmm.
0: And what we find overall is that leadership is the linchpin for any of these digital transformation efforts, any of these new ways to engage. If leadership is not engaged if they are doing only just flag waving and cheering from the sidelines, it never works. They really themselves need to be leading it, living it, leading by example. And almost to a person, they're very hesitant um, and, and not comfortable trying to figure out how to do this. And it's interesting because they may use it in their personal lives. They may be using LinkedIn and Facebook to connect with friends and family. But when it comes to being a leader in these digital channels, there are very few examples of how to do this. So I wrote the book for leaders, uh, leaders who really feel the need now to not just talk about it, but to actually do it themselves.
1: Right. And that can be a scary thing. But I think the new wave, I think people who get it understand like this new wave is like transparency and who you are, who your brand is. I mean, the the age of social media brought on like this whole, there is no difference. There's no segregation between you and your business and between you and your brand. Like they're one and the same. So you really have to be out there representing you and your brand in a way that you want to and really be out there and engaged so that, you know, people can really get to know kind of the, the person behind the, their favorite brands. Who Who is somebody who you think does that very well?
0: Um, Actually, I, I begin with Ginny Romady, who is the CEO of IBM. Um, and actually, have a lot of women leaders in the book, which was this just thrilling because a lot of business books don't have very many women in them. Yeah. Um, or I think, frankly, lack of, of just that network again of being exposed to um, more women. And unfortunately, most business writers are, are men. Not that many women are writing uh, business books. And that's, that's changing rapidly, which is great to see. Uh, but what she does, she has a Twitter account, but she never uses it. And instead, what she has decided that as a leader, her priority is to change IBM from within. So she put all of her efforts into engaging with employees. So she's highly engaged. She uses video as her uh, medium of communication. Uh, She does it very well. And then she uses all the forums to reach out to people, engage with them in discussions. Again, what what struck me was I kept asking IBM, as a technology company, tell me about clients who are leaders who are highly engaged. And all the employees kept saying, "Yeah, I've got a bunch of leaders, but you really need to talk to Ginny. You really need to talk to our leader." And I heard this over and over and over again. Like oh, something's going on here. <laughs> and what I dug into is that people really feel like she's different. She's leading differently. In that they feel so much more connected to the purpose and the mission of IBM in a way that they hadn't in years. <laughs> So I thought, you know, there's something interesting here. She's really been able to harness these new digital and social tools to extend her leadership in a new and very interesting, fresh way, and develop this new type of relationship with employees at scale. Right. And she's totally comfortable. Like, yeah, I'm not going to tweet. I'm not going to be out there and, and doing these things because it's, you know, it's not a place I necessarily feel comfortable. It's not a good use of my time. It's not a priority for me. So that's the thing I took away from this, is that leaders need to, are, are very objective-driven. And you don't just get on Twitter to be on Twitter. You get on Twitter because your audience is there of who the people who want the inspiration of your leadership and that you can lead them effectively in that channel. So all the, the leadership, I put quotes in that leadership training around how to use technology. They're so focusing on the technologies first. Whereas I think the focus has to be on your leadership first. What are you trying to accomplish as a leader? Mm. And then figure out, based on that, the relationships you have to form. Where are those people and what do they need to hear from you? What are they saying already? And what are the ways that you can engage with them to transform that relationship? And and for me, that that was, again, what what we talked about earlier, I don't think about an audience to be messaged to. I think about the community to engage with right and and that's what i think leaders really need to think about is where can my engagement my limited time and attention where can that engagement
1: really make a difference against
0: the objectives that we may have
1: in common Mm, i love that huge paradigm shift i mean it's a tiny little thing but a very very big paradigm shift now you have become a leader in your own right and um, your team itself has built to 12 different people um, who all make Altimeter like a kick butt company and really providing awesome resources for people who are who are looking for those. So, and, and I know you mentioned that you kind of your focus and uh, your services kind of have evolved all these years. Give a, give a little snapshot now of what you and your team are really providing for your customers.
0: Well, first of all, we do the research, we write research and, and publish it in any sort of different way. Sometimes it's long form reports. We also just share them in 140-character tweets. Right. Uh, we do um, speaking. We do advisory and workshops and assessments. Again, our, both of our clients are Fortune 1000 tech companies, so very large organizations, but also some startups, too, in the technology space. And more than anything else, we're very focused on having that impact, making that difference, helping people understand how these disruptions are in technology disruptions are changing the business and then helping them act on them, putting together a plan so that they can thrive with these technologies rather than be decimated by them.
1: So in your time since 2008 of growing this business and growing your team, what what is the biggest lessons that you have learned on a personal level about the kind of leader you are or the kind of leader you've evolved into? Oh, I've learned so much. I've made so many mistakes along the way too.
0: Um, <laughs> You know, I when I started the company, I, I started with three other people. Um, after about a year of, of being on my own, and you know, good friends and fellow analysts. And what I learned is that it's one thing to do it with friends; it's another thing to get into it with um, as partners. And my biggest mistake was that more clearly defining what that partnership would look like. I thought I was starting a company that um, we were partners, like we were equals. Uh, but that also meant that governance and decision-making was kind of out of whack. Right. So, you know, governance is and in, in the the need for understanding when decisions would be made, how decisions are going to be made, and the processes around that um, was something I've learned. It's extremely important. It's not enough just to have a strategy. You also have to have decision-making and be very clear about how decisions would be made. Um, and consensus is a great thing in some circumstances and other times, no. So defining when consensus and... When votes need to be made or when somebody's put in charge and you just have to listen to whatever they say um, goes, those are all things that need to be defined up front.
1: Well, and so kind of in reflection from the, you know, IBM example, what kind of things do you do to engage your team? Um, you know, what kind of things are you doing to make sure that they feel the leadership from you and they kind of are always on the same page as far as where you're going, even though everyone's working in their, their own individual directions? What kind of things, like like practical things, do you institute that help you kind of steer the ship and communicate effectively?
0: Um we, we do it the old fashioned way. We have regular meetings. uh It used to be about once a month, all hands meetings where anybody can ask anything. We'd have an agenda to go through things, and then um we're just going through a lot of change right now, so and we're all so busy. We actually have it now twice a week.
1: Oh wow, uh, but it means
0: that all the other meetings are off the calendar. Got it. So so for two hours a week, it's reserved. This is the time when we're all together. And if you want to find somebody and collaborate with more than one person, this is the time to do it. Hmm. But the deal was all the other meetings are off the table. So if I want to have a meeting with all the analysts, we just have it during that time. If we want to have a meeting around our marketing initiatives and our marketing trip campaign, we have it during that time.
1: Gotcha. So you're not, and like, out-meeting people. <laughs> yeah.
0: Because I was realizing I have meeting after meeting after meeting of internal people. And sometimes the same people. I'm like, wait a minute. Can we just get this done in five minutes? Do we need a half hour? So we just add it to the agenda and we know that we have these meetings on Tuesdays and Thursdays at 2 o'clock Pacific time. Very cool. And we keep them. We keep them. Um I'm not having it tomorrow, but it's the first time, like, in weeks that we haven't had it. Wow.
1: Um,
0: because I know that most people can't make it, and rather than schedule, we're just going to have a virtual meeting. Um, so it's, it's kind of those things where we try to figure out how to stay in touch with each other, and in some cases, the, the key thing is to make sure our agendas are aligned. Uh, so about two years ago, we decided that we would have work days and meeting days. So Tuesdays and Thursdays are our meeting days. And we try to schedule all of our meetings during those days internally and externally. And that leaves Monday and Wednesdays and Fridays very free for hours at a time that are meeting free. And that's time because when you do research, you need time to like sit and think, like blocks of time right. to write. And if your day is chopped up in lots of meetings and you don't put those kind of agreements in place, you can't get work done. Hmm. So that's that was a huge breakthrough for us in terms of defi- defining our culture and the way we get work done. And um, I do have to emphasize that values and culture is, is probably the most important thing I've learned um, as a leader, how important that is to, to set, that, set that up yeah. um, and to be constantly on, on the lookout for how do we maintain our culture, what kind of culture do we want, and what things are working and what things aren't
1: what do you think is like one of the biggest challenges that you face right now like in this moment what are what what's like one of the biggest challenges that you are constantly coming across um, it, it's um it's
0: i, I want to do everything you know it's as a person who sees opportunity um by the strength fighters I'm a strategy I'm a maximizer i'm an activator um so I constantly am seeing opportunities out there to do more stuff, more mm-hmm. growth, more <laughs> engagement, more people we can hire. And then the reality is, is between cash and time, you can't do everything. Right. And so I think the biggest challenge constantly is to say, look at all these opportunities and decide, is it something that's worth adding to a strategic plan? If we do, what do we take off? And what is that strategy and communicating it over and over and over again? to yourself and to your team, to your customers, to your partners, everybody. Like, this is what we're doing. This is where we're heading. And we're not going to entertain changes to this plan um, unless it's really going to move us forward uh, faster than what we're doing today.
1: Right.
0: So it's a constant balance to say, do I take my eye off the ball to look at this new opportunity? How much time do I spend on it? Uh, okay. As you can imagine, there are a gazillion people calling and saying, hey we want to do a partnership with you I want to have a meeting with you here's yep. a new opportunity let's talk about this and it's so hard because it's you never know what you want to take what you don't want to take which ones you should take just for relationship building and you have limited time right can't do everything yep. um, I've always believed that constraints are a really good thing to have as an entrepreneur less money <laughs> less time in some ways because that makes you focus
1: on what's really important Yeah, I agree with you. Really agree with you there. I'm going to go ahead and conclude this conversation with this question, which is, what is your vision? And I'm not just asking about the vision of your company. I'm really asking about your vision for Charlene. Like, you know, you've had so many different evolutions. um, You know, the business is going really well. What do you see for you? What's the big vision of what you are here to do?
0: I am here to discover and to name the things that are really causing a lot of disruption and to make them understandable and not feared. Because I see so much um, power can come from just understanding things and being able to name something, um, put structure against it. And so what I feel like I have a lot more stories um, and interesting things to discover still, Um, I have more books, I have more stories, more reports, more data to discover, and um, I'm... I feel like I'm going to be constantly on the journey. I, I get asked this question, you know, what do you want to do when you retire? And I kind of feel like, I think I want to do the same thing still. <laughs> I Maybe doing a different line of work. But I, but I love this process of discovery, and I love the, the process of learning and teaching and sharing it with other people. I live for the aha moment, basically. I love creating aha moments for people. Um, When I speak, when I'm in a workshop, one-on-one with people, when I see that aha moment of my team member who suddenly gets, oh, that's how we can do this. And we discover that together, it's even more exciting. Mm. And that's what I live for. The vision is I just want to keep creating those aha moments.
1: I love it. Well, Charlene, this entire conversation has been a great aha moment. So thank you very much for being here and for sharing your story. Thank you for having me today. rockcom forward slash 202. That's where you can go to leave your comment about what you thought of this conversation and what it really shifted for you. It did for me. I, um, you know, I, I am someone who builds a community. I, that is, I have uh, you as an amazing part of my audience and my community, and I think having her distinguish uh, just those words and the kind of the, the minutiae of the difference of those words was j- just really compelling to me and once again, just makes a huge difference on how you are looking at your sales, um, your timeline of sales, how you're reaching your market. Uh, just found it very, very interesting. She's a very fascinating woman and I um, hope you really enjoyed it. So would love to see your comment at bizwomenrock.com forward slash 202.